Hey there, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Outdoors Podcast. Joining me today is my friend, Casey Steel Heater. Casey is an avid backpacker and kayaker from the Southeast area, uh, more specifically Louisville, Kentucky, and then the Red River Gorge area of the Daniel Boone Wilderness. Casey has spent probably 29 or 30, according to him, trips uh, in that area over the last year alone, which is probably more backpacking that I've done since I started Outdoors Podcast several years ago. Uh, so awesome that he has that kind of experience. I get to pick his brain on all things hammocks, backpacks, camping, all kinds of different hiking trips and things that he's done. We talk about backpacking and camping with your dog, which he's got a great little cattle dog by the name of Odin. So we talk a little bit about that. And then we also spend a decent amount of time really kind of digging into the cottage vendor industry scene and how Casey has been successful getting some of those vendors to donate product for group trips that he's organized in the past. So I think a lot of you are going to find this episode really interesting. Casey's a really cool guy, and I'm really glad I got to get to know him on this episode. Without further ado, let's jump right in. We're slightly above everybody else on the intellectual <laughs> scale, I think. Altitude sickness is no joke. Once it gets below zero, it's cold. There are a lot less sportsmen now than there were, say, 20 years ago. You're actually, you were used as a pawn okay. in our game to figure out what it was that we were doing wrong. You know, at that point, we didn't have one great tent. Like, we had one good tent and one not good tent. <laughs> yeah. Wind was just whipping. Uh, there was, like, snow BBs <laughs> just, like, pelting the face. <laughs> All right, Casey, we are live. It is fantastic to finally get to talk with you. We have been chatting through social media for, I would say, the better part of a year or two now um, over some common interests in kind of your home territory. Uh, you and I met through either a Facebook group or just seeing posts on various forums around hammock camping, probably on the hammock camping uh, Facebook group. And you have been into hammock camping for how long now? Uh, for the better part of three, maybe four years, but definitely three. Okay. And I would imagine that you were into backpacking camping of other sorts prior to getting into hammock camping. Is that a fair statement? Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, I, uh, I was in the Boy Scouts and did, did camping outdoors and things like that. And being outdoors has always interested me. For sure. For sure. Now, how, how long were you in the Scouts? Did you go through all, you know, the whole program or did you just kind of have a shorter stint? What was your experience in the Scouts? Um, I basically, uh, I've, I was basically a Weeblo, you know, I, I didn't go all the way through, uh, basically, I, I pretty much quit because at a certain age, I was just pretty much like, I'm, I'm over all this stuff. And so basically I got out and then just spent the better part of my years outdoors and stuff like that. Gotcha. And so you're kind of in the Midwest in the Kentucky area. Is that, is that accurate? I mean, I wouldn't consider Kentucky Midwest, but yeah. Okay, so you would you would qualify Kentucky as more kind of south? Uh, southeast. I mean, I know we're right there on that line, but I would consider it more eastern, but also kind of southern. I think, the, yeah, I think that's probably a fair statement. I mean, growing up in St. Louis, I kind of look at anything that has similar temperature and geography to us as Midwest. So I kind of have a really broad view of what the Midwest is. 
Um, but yeah, you're, you're probably more accurate in, in, in topography and in landscape, I would say you are definitely probably more akin to, uh, the, the Southeast and the East, you know, than, than I would say we are here in the Midwest where everything's a little flatter. Um, you know, one of our first on gamecforms.net, you know, uh, they do consider Kentucky as part of the Southeast. Oh, do they? Okay. uh, Well, there's the, there's the Holy Bible then. Yeah, that, yeah, there it is. Absolutely. So let me ask you this. You and I kind of started conversing because of some common trips. You've spent a ton of time, it looks like, in the Red River Gorge, uh, you know, not too too far away. So how much, you know, h- how did you start first going to the Red River Gorge? Where did you discover it? And then kind of what, where has that, how has that captured your interest so deeply? So I always knew about the Red River Gorge. Like, I knew about it, but uh, I really didn't go out there to camp or anything like that. Until I met my group of friends that I hang out with here in Louisville on a daily basis almost. Uh, one of my friends actually got me interested in hammocks, and that's how it started. But uh, I believe it was, uh, yeah, it was a group of my friends that we went down to Red River Gorge uh, to a place called uh, Eagle's Nest, I believe it was. And uh, during the middle of winter, and it was called the. Uh, uh, Gosh, the name is escaping me for the moment. Uh, the Frozen Feet. We called it Frozen Feet. And it's just a local Louisville thing. And uh, we just all met up. And I was in an Eno hammock. It was my first time in a hammock. And it was probably about 30 degrees. And I had a, you know, a 60-degree uh, synthetic underquilt. And I froze my butt off. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it wasn't fun the first night, so I went to my car and uh, drove to the nearest store and bought a bigger, you know, sleeping bag. And I probably hiked in probably close to 70 pounds that day. It oh, was, my God. Was, oh, yeah. Yeah, it was ridiculous. But uh, ever since then, I've pretty much uh, lowered my weight and improved my game. Yeah, I don't know if you've seen the documentary on the John Muir Trail called Mile, Mile and a Half. It made its its way around the internet for quite some time. Have you seen that? No, I haven't. So it's a beautifully shot documentary. It's it's five or six friends, I can't remember, uh, maybe four, uh, that are all in the filmmaking industry in some capacity. And they all decided as a group, you know, and they're all kind of, I would say, probably in their mid-40s to undertake the John Muir Trail, which, you know, I don't know how familiar you are with that that trail, but it's, you know, 200 plus miles and it's 38,000 feet of elevation. And it typically wow. takes most people, I would say, you know, 20 plus, maybe a little under 25 days to complete the trip. Uh, they They all did this while carrying a full gamut of professional film and audio equipment and you know, all their food and all these things. And, and there's one point during the trail where they all do, you know, kind of a weight check when they are resupplying and the heaviest pack is somewhere around 70 pounds and the lightest pack on a woman who's probably, I want to say she's maybe five foot three, five foot four. She's not a very tall woman. She's not a, a, you know, a real sturdy. I mean, she's, you know, a a good, good hiker, but you know, not, not uh, super thick or anything. Uh, I want to say her pack is in the 55 range. And so anytime that I'm on some, you know, 15 mile day and I've got my 17, my, you know, 17, 16 pound base load on and my total pack weight's like 21 pounds, my feet are hurting. I'm sitting, I always think in my brain, 
That woman carried 55 pounds <laughs> up 4,000 feet of elevation on a daily basis over 200 miles. Quit whining. Uh, so, you know, I, I, I look at anybody that's carried 70 pounds with a giant uh, uh, view of admiration. Well, that being said, I did hike in with a gigantic 75-liter Osprey Volt. So, that, that, I mean, that gave me the support, but as a 180-pound person, that still kicked my butt. So, Casey, I've seen, you know, following you on Facebook, you are, I would say, a gear guy, right? I mean, I, I, I tend to think that campers fall into two categories. you got gear guys and non-gear guys, and... Uh, you seem to be a guy that enjoys gear, that likes the cottage manufacturer industry and kind of supporting those different manufacturers. How Have you always been a gear guy? Has that always been your thing? Um, you know, not really. Uh, I had always, you know, thought, oh, that's cool. Oh, this is cool. You know, one day I'll get that. And one day I'll get this. And then, you know, I, I have no children. You know, I'm a single guy. And, you know, I just live by myself and stuff like that. So eventually I just started buying things here and there and there and there. And before I knew it, I was selling my TV because I don't watch TV anymore. And that paid for an underquilt. And then, you know, I did this and that. And before you know it, right now I have, you know, 10 sets of underquilt and top quilt. So it's like I have 10 quilts total. I have like. So wait a second. You have 10 total quilts or you have 10 sets of quilts? 10 total quilts. Okay. So so you've got five sets. sets. Okay. I was going to say, if you've got 10 sets, you've got a small problem. (laughs) Oh, I've always got a problem, man. It's, you know. But I've also got, you know, like eight hammocks and I've got like four different ways to cook my food and just a gambit of stuff. And, And is it. Stuff that you kind of, because the way that it's worked for me is, you know, I find one way that I'm really into doing it and I'll say, okay, you know, I'm, I, I want to be able to cook all the food, all the water, everything melts snow. So I get a, you know, an MSR whisper light. And then, you know, two weeks later, I get some design up my ass that I want to, you know, get super, super light. So then all of a sudden I'm making a fancy feast alcohol stove. And then all of a sudden I see a video on YouTube and some guy is, you know, using Esbit tabs. And I'm like, man, that looks super simple. I'll just get like a little $6 Esbit tab stove off Amazon. And then all of a sudden you have this collection of stuff. It's not like you went out and said, all right, I'm going to get one of everything. It's just kind of your style changes over time. Is that the way it works for you? Yeah, well, see, my, my very first camping stove was the MSR wind burner. Okay. And that's my tried and true. That's, I mean, that thing has not failed me yet. I might have melted the plastic a little bit, but that was my own fault. I'm kind of rough on my gear. Okay. Uh, and then I kind of moved on to, uh, I kind of moved, I saw this thing on Amazon. It was really cool. It's like nine grams or nine ounces or something. I think it's nine grams, but uh, it's the BRS. It's like this super lightweight little thing. It's probably about, I mean, it's, it's, it's obviously a burner, yep. but uh, it's like ounces. And I was like, you know, that would be really cool to take on the Appalachian Trail. So I uh, sat there and I bought it and I probably broke it in three days because it's just, you know, just because it's lightweight doesn't mean it's good. Oh, for sure. And then uh, actually this year I, uh, I bought a top quilt and a Garmin watch from uh, Spagiver. And, oh, nice. uh, yeah, they're actually really cool. I like them both. 
the the top quilt I bought was a uh, a Jacks are better, and you know them; they're pretty good product. Oh yeah, for sure. That's one of the and, the trusted cottage brands in hammock camping for sure. Oh, you know, it's the first. Un- I, I believe it was the first underquilt for him. Makes sense. Yeah, you know, I mean, and that's that's the quilt. I think one of the reasons that so many people know Jacks are better is. When you get into hammock camping, if you know if you're listening out there and you've never been into hammock camping before, and you start going down that road, you're inevitably going to be coming across a guy named Suge, uh, Sean Emery, Suge, lots of different names that he goes by, but everybody calls him Suge. Uh, you know, YouTuber with a huge, I think he's got seventy to a hundred thousand subscribers, just easily oh, yeah. the biggest one in, in backpacking, I would say. Uh, and one of his kind of tried and true quilts uh, or sets of quilts has always been from Jacks or Better. So I'm sure they've probably generated, I don't know, $100,000 in revenue off of his videos alone. <laughs> oh, who knows? But uh, yeah, when I bought those from him, he also he uh, he sent me a little Spagiver stove, his Model 2 Spagiver stove. I don't know if you've ever seen it. Oh, cool. But uh, it's a it's a little it's a you know it's a beer can basically, but he cut it out and it's an alcohol stove. It's kind of like a uh, a fancy feast stove, but sure. I think it's a little bit just yeah. the way it's cut. So I I've played with it a little bit, but you know I I tend to burn myself on those flames. So yeah, I mean you know I've had any number of different stoves and and I mean I still have probably most of them and you know regardless of kind of cost you don't get a ton of money back out of them when you sell them I mean I guess like the whisper lights and the the like you said the wind burners and some of that kind of stuff those those tend to go well when you're reselling but um you know what I have found is that every single one of them has a distinct advantage in that there's not I mean at least in my view there's not any one like perfect solution for all of your problems, right? Because right now I'm mainly using Esbit stoves just because of the simplicity of them and they're the one I've got super light and it keeps my kind of cooking package footprint in my backpack really small. Uh, But Mm -hmm. I'll tell you what, my girlfriend and I went backpacking in Yosemite National Park, I don't know, two years ago and we were in a little bit colder weather than we were expecting. I think we were expecting lows in like the upper 30s and it got down into the upper 20s. We've got 20 degree quilts and everything was fine. But like in the middle of the night, I woke up and I had a little bit of a chill and I had my my um, my jet boil, you know, sitting next to me and sitting in my hammock under my tarp. I was able to pull out my jet boil, set it up, take my Nalgene bottle, dump it in there, boil up a, a, about three quarters of a liter of water in about 90 seconds, throw that back in my Nalgene bottle, stick that down between my legs, and then all of a sudden I was borderline taking clothes off. I was so hot. And, <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I made the adjustment in, in the matter of, you know, three to five minutes. I mean, it really didn't take very long at all. I was able to do the whole thing while lying in my, my hammock. So that, you know, I would not have been able to do that. If I was doing that with Esbit, it would have taken 15 minutes and it would have, you know, I would have been wide awake by then. So it, they all have their advantages. Well, see, I love cold weather camping. That's, that's probably one of my favorites, but you know, I seem to never get cold in the wintertime because I also always bring my dog and he likes to sleep in the hammock when it comes to cold weather. Yeah, so that's that's a huge part of what really, you know, I hate to use the word attracted, but like really caught my attention when I was, you know, seeing your post because obviously on hammock forums there's tons of, of content. Um, but you've got a cattle dog, which, 
is something that I was super, super into. I've got an Australian Shepherd mix, but uh, prior to my my friend, one of my friends gave me that dog as a birthday present, a surprise birthday present one year. Uh, had he not given me that dog, I'm fairly convinced I probably would have ended up with a cattle dog. Uh, so you've got a cattle dog. How old is your dog, and, and what's your guys' history together? Um, he turns three in November, and I actually, me and my good friend Ryan Fish, uh, well, it's a two-parter. Uh, one, uh, I got him on New Year's Day. On uh, Yeah, so he was a New Year's Day dog. It was also the same day I broke up with my girlfriend. <laughs> hey, you got you lose one, you replace the other. Companionship on both what, sides. I tell you what, there's people out there that care more about my dogs than they care about me. Sure. <laughs> and, I, uh, I can tell you right now my girlfriend cares more about her dog than she does about me. <laughs> that's how it should be sure but uh you know i mean he's you know he's awesome you know he listens to every word i say you know i've never really had any problems with him he was really easy to train and uh at night time he sticks right beside the hammock when i first got him i would always chain him up to the hammock because i didn't want like but if we're at the red river gorge you know i don't want him to wander off in the middle of the night and fall off the cliff so i'd I, I still put him on a leash at that point, and I'll uh, attach him to my hammock. That way, if he moves around or something or, you know, takes off after something, I'll feel it on my hammock, and I'll wake up instantly. Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, I've never really had that problem. Uh, we come in, we've come uh, face-to-face with a couple raccoons and things like that in the wild in North Carolina. But uh, other than that, Nothing really. He's always been a good dog. Uh, he he brings in his own stuff, his bed. His, he actually, uh, one of my good friends who uh, owns Trailhead's Hammock and Accessories, he uh, made a hammock just for Odie. Oh, that's pretty sweet. Yeah, I've seen some photos of him hanging out. Now, does, does that hang below your hammock, or how does it, or do you, is that just something that you bring for kind of chilling out in the campsite? Where do you typically hang that in camp? So, uh, I hang my hammock rather, I like my hammock rather low to the ground. It's just how I like to sleep. So, generally, I'll have that, like, uh, as of late, I've hung that up, you know, somewhat close to me. And if he wants to go sleep in his hammock, he'll go sleep in his hammock. But, you know, it also doubles as a hammock chair. So, Oh, that's nice. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, if he sleeps in it, cool. If he doesn't, you know, I've got a chair for the morning so I can drink my coffee. Right, and then to, so he carries a a backpack. What kind of backpack do you use for him? Um, he actually carries all of his all the products I use for him is Roughwear. Um, I have had no well, I've had a couple problems with them, but they have a lifetime warranty, and as soon as I submit a request, they're sending something out immediately. Yeah, I've had a really good experience with them. Uh, we have the vast majority of our stuff for my dog Yozy is Roughwear, and um. We, in fact, I just got a new pack for her with my REI dividend. I actually uh, splurged and bought the Palisades pack. Yeah. So I've got, you know, the the big thing for me is is we've got a yellow lab too, and he's unfortunately he's too old to go backpacking and hiking now. But uh, for you know the majority of her, she's just turned four in April. Um, you know, she, he loves to go and, and jump in the water and swim around and stuff. And so she's jumping into the water with her pack on. And so, you know, we're lucky that she's really well trained. And like you said, you know, very trainable dog and sticks pretty close to us on the trail. But, uh, the nice thing about that Palisades pack is that you can basically take the saddlebags off of them 
while leaving the harness in place. So yeah. she still kind of has something you can grab and still has, you know, some, some connection points if someone comes close and we need to put her on a leash. Um, but we can at least take the bags and, you know, her, she does the same thing. She carries a down quilt and her own food and some of her water. We try to keep the weight around five to eight pounds because I guess the, the rule of thumb is you really don't want to go more than about 10 to 20% of their body weight. Um, depending on the terrain they're carrying. So, you know, I try to be reasonable. She's about a 40 to 50 pound dog, depending on what part of the season and how her diet's going at the current moment. Uh, so yeah, you know, it, it's, we try to manage what all she carries, but for the most part, she's carrying most of her own gear. Yeah. I mean, it, my dog care, Odie carries, uh, he carries his food, his little hammock, uh, you know, he also carries, he also carries some of my electronics. He carries my battery pack, you know, my GoPro, things like that. Things that are like, and they're all in waterproof pack, bags and things like that. Uh, so, I mean, you know, he probably carries anywhere from five to eight pounds as well. You know, he doesn't carry very much. I don't want to overload them because they can hurt themselves. Yeah. And, and they're a sturdy breed. I mean, have you had any kind of issues with, you know, I would imagine that he's off leash the majority of the time that you guys are on the trail. Uh, unless it is a strict leashed area, then, I mean, cause there, there are some spots to where I have to keep him on leash at all times. Uh, I don't, you know, I know he'll stay right beside me, but you know, rules are rules. Uh, so yeah, he usually stays off leash unless there is a, like a mandatory area or if I see another person with a dog coming up to me. Yeah. Then I'll put him on his leash. Yeah, so the unfortunately the one experience that I had in the Red River Gorge, which I think I've maybe touched on it on some other episodes, but um, when I went to the Red River Gorge, I had talked about it and talked about it and talked about it. I'd seen all these people on YouTube take that trip and so many people posting about it. And I finally just decided one night, you know what, I think it's going to be a little hotter than I normally like to go, you know, backpacking in. I think it's, you know, I don't really know as much as I probably would like to know about where I'm headed, but screw it, I'm just going to go. So I drove from St. Louis. I drove, you know, mainly through the evening, and I pulled into a Walmart parking lot in, I want to say Stanton, Kentucky, um, something just outside of, of the gorge, and tried yeah, to sleep. Yeah, tried to sleep there, and I had my dog with me, and we were sleeping. I've got a you know four door Infinity uh, sedan, and so it was not exactly the most comfortable sleeping scenario because my seats don't fold down at all in the back. So it, I mean, I was like in the back seat with my dog, and uh, yeah, it was and it was hot, so I you know I couldn't really get a lot of circulation going, and we finally ended up switching over to a uh there's a rest stop right off the highway right outside the gorge so we pulled in there everything was great we find a quiet spot to sleep and i think i fell asleep for four or five hours and then all of a sudden i wake up and there's just these you know trucks and buses and stuff running and i'm like it's 5 30 in the morning i was like what is going on so i i get out of the car and i walk around and i see all these school buses and i was like what is going on so i i you know, get in the car, we start driving, I stop, I ask somebody, I'm like, hey, what's going on? And they're like, oh, there's a, a marathon today or a half marathon. And I was like, oh, cool, good for them, you know, early start. Well, I probably should have put two and two together that they were gathered right outside of a big park and <laughs> that that marathon was going to take place in the park I was going to and it was going to take place on the trail I was going to be on. Uh, but oh, I didn't, no. 
I, I went the weekend of the Red River Gorge, like, trail run. Oh, no. And <laughs> so I'm going backwards against the grain, and there's 480 runners on the trail. Oh, my God. And, I mean, you've been on, you know, that trail that goes up to, uh, I want to say it's Indian Staircase. And then, you know, down from there and into, you know, kind of the heart of the gorge and then over to Hanson's Point, like literally the entire way, with the exception of about the last three, four miles of the day, I was just fighting 480 people coming on a single track trail against me. And so when you have a dog and, you know, for those of you that haven't been to the gorge, that part of the trail, you're really walking kind of along, you're not up on a ridge and you're not down in a valley, you're kind of walking about halfway and so there's uphill on your right and there's downhill on your left or vice versa, but it, you're very rarely kind of on wide swaths of flat ground. And so when you're trying to work either up the, up the hill off the trail or down the trail off the hill, uh, you know, or, or vice versa, it, it gets really annoying. Uh, and on top of that, it was hot. And I mean, don't get me wrong, it was my fault for not doing better research and understanding where I was going when I was going. Uh, but it turned my first day of hiking that probably would have been a really pleasant day, although a little bit heated, you know, a little hot, uh, would have turned what would have been a really pleasant day. It turned it into a real shitty one. <laughs> Man, I, I don't know what to say on that one. That that just sounds terrible. <laughs> yeah, and unfortunately, man, I got like five miles up into the trail and, and ran, well, it's probably more like three miles up into the trail. I've got video of all this stuff. I never posted it on YouTube, but I got like three miles up into the trail and ran into four guys that had, you know, race bibs and hats and stuff on. I was like, what's going on? And they told me, and I just, I should have just turned around and walked the other direction and gotten down to the car and kind of reevaluated. Uh, but I was like, eh, it'll be fine. We'll just take like a half an hour and, you know, sit on the side of the trail and watch everybody go by. And I think I assumed everybody was going to be in a little bit of a tighter group than they were. And, I mean, they were spread out over like a three, four-hour period. So it, it was not a, a fun experience. Now, once we got up to Hanson's Point, I mean, that's probably one of the better places I've ever camped. Really? I mean, here's the thing. I was up there basically by myself. Um, there was oh, okay. one, one other couple up there and the other kind of funny story from my trip, uh, was that they, I, I got up to Hanson's point. There was like one couple right out on the point, which was cool. And so I didn't really get to go out there right away. And then, um, there was this other couple, like right kind of as you walk out to the, you know, the main viewing area and they had an infant baby. I mean like a straight up infant baby. And I was like, wow. Oh, good for them. You know? adventure crew you know taking their little kid on a hike i mean like six months old maybe and uh i go i walk back up to where the kind of camping areas are i get all set up i get my hammock strung up i got a great view everything's looking good and then i see them walk up from the point you know there's kind of a little what quarter mile hike from where you you know typically would camp down to the kind of the actual point and yeah uh i see them with like backpack backpacks and I was like huh didn't see those before and then all of a sudden they start setting up camp and I was like they're not gonna camp out here with that baby and sure shit I mean they settled in and just set up a campsite hammock bunch of other stuff and I was just like oh cool good for them and at about 1 30 in the morning that baby went off like a bomb 
And, I mean, it was absolute, as loud as it could possibly be, screaming over just dead silence. Oh, my God. And it went on for about a half an hour. And to, How close did you become? I mean, the baby was probably 30, 40 feet, 60 feet. Nah, it was probably like 20, 30 yards away. What? I mean, it was like uh, real close. I would have picked up and moved somewhere else. If I would have gone to like that second little campsite up there. And I probably should have. I mean, I probably just should have moved away from them. But I, they, they were being so great. And they were so nice, and I was so, like, kind of in awe of these parents that, like, were going for it. I I was just kind of like, hey, good for you guys. I did not anticipate, because the baby up to that point, like, all night had been great. And then all of a sudden, just like an explosion. And and to the parents' cry, I mean, they were doing everything they could. Toys, food, milk, I mean, everything they could. I mean, you could hear them. Oh, please try, you know, like really trying to get the baby to be quiet. And the next morning they were super apologetic and they were trying to offer me, you know, I will cook you breakfast or something. Was, they were really trying to do it, you know, the right way. And I, I give them credit, but it was like one right. of those things where I woke up the next morning and was like, good God, what was that about? <laughs> wow, that's uh Ooh, I don't know if I could have done that. that it, I mean, it was it was kind tough. Of, children. Yeah. So so you have gone obviously a bunch of trips to the gorge. Where else do you like to go backpacking? Where else do you like to go hammock camping? Um, you know, I really like to go to uh, the Hoosier National Forest. That's really nice. They have really good trails there. Now, where is that? Uh, Hoosier National. Uh, it is about uh, about an hour and a half north of Louisville. I forget the exact area. So I'm guessing it's but, in the uh, state it, of Indiana. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, it's literally, uh, It's. I mean, I would really consider it southern Indiana because uh, it's such a big, uh, long state, rather. Oh, for sure. But that's about, a, about an hour and a half north of Louisville. It's about the same distance as the gorge. You know, it's super close. I can get there in, you know, no time at all. Um. Let's see. I really like. Uh, and wh- what is it about the Hoosier National Forest that you really like? Um, actually, they have a lake out there, uh, and I can literally put my kayak in the lake, and I can go, you know, to certain areas that nobody else can go to when you're hiking. Now, how much does and, your uh, how much does Odin weigh? Uh, he weighs sixty pounds. He's sixty pounds. Yeah. No joke. Boy. I would have I would have assumed he was like thirty or forty pounds because I was just gonna say it must be nice that you can put your dog in your kayak and take him because I feel like I would be awfully side to side tippy if I brought my dog, but she's smaller than yours. Yeah, Odie's uh, really good in the kayak. Uh, I have you know I have a sit on top kayak uh, and I have a. Uh, uh, I have a sit on top and I have a sit in kayak and, uh, it's just, he, he travels really well in both. Uh, if I put him in one of the cargo holds, he stays there, but sometimes he jumps into the water and goes for a swim. That's hilarious. Yeah. Now, so this is this P- Patoka Lake. Is that the lake you're talking about? No, 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 no. 
Because I'm looking at the Hoosier National Forest Recreation Grounds right now, and it looks like it's Pato. I mean, it's kind of a big, spidery lake that goes out. I, mean, I do, I do believe it's Potoka. I mean, it, it might, it might not be. I don't know. So uh, you can just put into this lake and then basically just cruise around and find areas that are open and then camp on the side. Is that what you're kind of doing? Oh, it's Indian Lake. That's the name of the lake it's called that we go to. Okay. Uh, yeah, it's, I mean, it's pretty fun, and it has pretty good fishing. I've seen a couple of bald eagles there before, too. Oh, no joke. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, it, it's really fun to go there. Um, it has some good terrain, some good sights, and... Uh, yeah, I mean, overall, it's just a really good time. Uh, I went there probably two times last year. Uh, nowhere near the amount of times I went to the gorge. I went there probably, you know, 30 or 40 times. Did you really last year? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I go there Holy all cow. So you're you're out most weekends then? Uh, I try to be, but uh, I work uh, as a cook at CF Chang's. So oh, nice. getting every weekend is kind of impossible, but I do go there every week as well. So sometimes uh, I camp. Uh, I mean, I, sometimes I camp during the week by myself. I'll tell you what. To me, that's the go-to. Uh, my girlfriend is uh, currently also working in the restaurant industry, and she used to be a vet tech, and for you know, like the last five six years, and so she worked. Sunday, Monday, and Tuesdays, and then every other Saturday. So she would have basically every Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday off. And so that would mean that, you know, that was her time to go do trips, camping, backpacking, fishing, whatever we would want to go do. And, you know, I would have to schedule my time. I I work for myself and and have a couple clients that, you know, are flexible in when I basically do what I do for them. And so I could schedule, you know, a lot of our trips during the week, and there's so many more campsites available. There's so much less traffic on the trails or on the rivers. I mean, I love camping during the week if you can figure it out. Yeah. How uh, how far away are you from it? I know you said you're in St. Louis, but how far away is that? So it was like a legit six and a half, seven hour drive. To Red River? To Red River Gorge. Holy. Yeah. I thought. I thought- is a lot closer than that. No, so unfortunately, St. Louis is like three and a half, four hours from Indianapolis. It's just that there's not like a super direct route to the National Forest or to Daniel Boone. So you basically have to go over to like through Louisville to uh, to Lexington and then straight down south on 75. Oh, okay, yeah. And so there's not really like a straight through line. I think if there were, you'd probably catch an extra hour or so. But, I mean, it was like, you know, by the time you stopped for gas and took a piss and, you know, grabbed a bite to eat somewhere, it you know, fast food, it was like at least six and a half. And the rough part was that I went to Hanson's Point, and then I did another kind of, you know, other loop, and I was really, really hot. I felt like I was going to be pretty miserable because I've only got 20-degree quilts. And it was like 75, 80 during the day. 
and I think the low Ooh. at night was like 57, 58 degrees. And so I knew I was going to be hot again. And I, you know, my dog was hot and I was like, screw it. Let's just do the whole hike today. And so we did, I think we ended up doing like close to 20 miles the second day and it was hot and we were rough and I'm dumping gallons of water on us when we got back to the, the car. And then that drive home was pretty tough. Um, I probably should have stopped and just crashed somewhere for a couple of hours, but I just kind of kept it on cruise and rolled in. And when I got back to St. Louis, I was pretty beat up. Um, now we've got an RV, so if we cruise over there, we'll we'll pick a spot somewhere outside of the gorge and, you know, do some kind of more excursion trips in there and have a, a kind of a base camp to work out of. Um, so I don't know if you know this or not, but Red River Gorge actually has an RV campground. Oh, do they really? Now, you obviously yeah. wouldn't be able to come in the normal entrance because of that super low tunnel area. I'm guessing you come in from another oh, area? Not a tunnel. No, you don't go that direction. Gotcha. You literally go. So when you go to Red River Gorge, you see that shell station, right? Yeah, of course. That's where I got my, my permit. There you go. Well, you usually turn left, don't you, to go to Nada Tunnel? Correct. All right, so you turn right. There's a there's literally this place called Coomer's Ridge Campground. Okay. It's, it's filled with a K, K-O-O-M-E-R. Yeah, I, I feel and, like I remember seeing that when I was kind of doing some research. Yeah, you can, uh, they have, they have uh, backcountry camping available there to where you can literally pull your, well, not, I, I guess you'd call it car camping rather. Uh, you can pull your car up, put your tent up, you know, and that's what really me and my friend do on Friday. We drive down there after work, we go to Coomer's Ridge, set up our camping stuff, and then Saturday morning we go and hike. But, uh, so, uh, they also have an RV campground there as well like in the same area but it's you know a ways out or a, you turn one way for the you know the camping and then you turn another way for the rv and uh i think it's like twenty dollars don't quote me on it but it's like twenty dollars to actually set your stuff up and you know everything like that for yeah. the weekend oh that's huge yeah i mean you know in state in most state parks and national forests and stuff i mean you see pretty good pricing um, you know, it's when you get really out West and you start going into like kind of more of the, the RV resorts and stuff that it starts to get out of hand pretty quick. Um, you know, we, we, unfortunately we got for Christmas this year, we got a national park pass and we got, a, a, a membership to a thing called, um, Passport America. And it's basically a discount program at campsites all over the country. <laughs> Obviously with COVID hitting things changed uh, quite a bit with our travel schedule because our goal was really to push off from St. Louis kind of in the early spring and spend the majority of 2020 cruising around the Western United States. Uh, my girlfriend and I are, are looking for the next place to live and we think it's going to be somewhere in the Pacific Northwest, but we're not quite sure yet. So this has been kind of our plan on how to explore some areas that we didn't think we maybe would normally uh, be able to go see. And, and we're both kind of inclined to live in a smaller more rural, more kind of country town than where we live right now. Um, and, you know, maybe have some land at some point down the road. So we're, we're still kind of exploring that idea. Um, but this RV thing really got thrown for a loop. And unfortunately, we haven't been able to get much value out of our, our campsites. So we want to find some more good value campsites that we can go check out, you know, throughout the fall as things start to open up a little bit. So that would be a good, a good, uh, good option to go check out because I definitely want to explore – Red River Gorge quite a bit. Are there, you know, obviously I, you, when I mentioned Hanson's point, you're like, eh, 
where would you, I don't want to ruin all your best spots and, and attract, not that a million people listen to our podcast yet, but, um, you know, where do you like to go exploring in the gorge when you go? So, I mean, I, I know I kind of went, eh, uh, to Hanson's point. I mean, don't get me wrong. It's a very beautiful spot. It has great, you know, it has a great outlook on it. Uh, but the fact that everybody knows about it is the fact why, like, it attracts too many people, and you know, I just I just don't like being around so many people. Uh, so me and my friend, actually Ryan, that I was talking about earlier, we discovered a trail. Uh, it's called the trail uh, trailhead extravaganza. Called the trailhead extravaganza trail. Okay. Uh, and it's about a three, or it's about a mile and a half to a two mile hike. Uh, it's relatively flat ground. I mean, it's an easy trail. It's a very easy trail, but uh, it's really only good for two hammocks and a tent. Really, uh. Uh, it's not. It's not a big spot at all. Once you reach the part where we get to, and where we get to, you've actually got to climb like a six foot uh, rock face. Uh, so what we did is he gave me a boost up there and uh over time I bought some actual climbing rope and I made little footholds out of it. Oh nice. So we literally we just shimmy up it now. But uh I'm telling you, man, that's some of the that's that's my favorite part in the gorge. Uh the only bad part about it is there's no water source. Ah uh, yeah. And now how far are you from the last water source that you, you cross? I mean, if you're only a couple of miles in, that's not too bad to carry is there is there a water source along that trail no there's not that's the only bad thing gotcha so you're carrying it from the car exactly i mean and that's the thing you're only a mile and a half to two miles from your car so it's literally nothing to go and walk to your car and just grab another jug of water and walk back you know it probably takes you the better part of an hour and a half maybe but uh it also has other little offshoot trails so where you can go and investigate and uh, there's a, there's actually a, another rock face that somebody else put a rope on. And, uh, I brought my dog Odie with Ryan and, uh, Odie does not like climbing very much. So, uh, I basically put him on my shoulders and he was gripping, like he put his front paws around my neck. Oh yeah. And so like, he was gripping me. It was insane. And so I climbed the little, you know, face of it. And then after that, he was fine. And then when we went back down, he basically jumped that seven-foot jump and went down it. He was like, I'm not dealing with this. Yeah, we've, we've tried to work on some training with, with Yozy or Sarah, at least my girlfriend has, where uh, she Yozy has had a couple of instances and not – in particularly hot weather, I mean, like 75 degrees or so, where she's she is a ball, just absolutely obsessed. If you bring out a tennis ball, she will focus on absolutely nothing else until the tennis ball disappears. And so um, she's kind of overrun herself a couple of times where her brain literally starts to shut down because she's overheating and she starts to kind of, you know, limp around like a baby deer. Oh, no. And we've got to get water on her and really cool her down. Again, luckily, my girlfriend's a, an ex-vet tech, so we are about as prepared to handle, you know, those kinds of situations as anybody. But we have tried to train her to essentially jump up on, you know, we can kneel down and she'll kind of climb over our shoulders so we've got a bit of a fireman's carry 
so that we can get her somewhere quickly uh, because we don't want to have to kind of wait till it's that moment to try and get her into a position where we can move her. Uh, so yeah, we, we've tried to kind of figure out some different positions that if we had to climb up on some rock faces or down into some water sources or things like that. Um, but yeah, it's not easy when you got a 60 plus pound dog. Yeah. Uh, and, and with our lab, I mean, he weighs 85 and in his prime, he weighed 90 pounds. And the joke has always been like, oh, well, you'll just carry him. You know, Sarah says that to me all the time. Like, oh, well, you can just carry him. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> I'm a stout dude, but I'm not that stout. So when you're evaluating places to go backpacking, what kind of planning do you do? How do you scout out a new area? Or are you more the kind of guy that just like throws some shit in a bag and rolls out there and figures it out as you go? So if I'm hiking a trail and I don't know much about the trail, generally I'll look at what the weather is going to be or, uh, you know, like, like the temperature and things like that. And then I'll also look to see how long the hike is. That way, if it's a short hike, I know I can pack heavier or if it's a long, a long hike, I can pack light. Um, and it's just, you know, I, uh, you know, I have multiple, di- like, and that's the joy of being a gear hoarder, you know. Uh, I have so much, so much gear that I can basically, you know, play around with what I want to do. Like, I have a summer set up from local Labre gear uh, quilts. Uh, under, I have a 50-degree under quilt that's basically, it covers my calf to the mid of my back. Yeah, like a three-quarter so, length. Oh, yeah. And, uh, well, hell, I'd call it a half length, really. It's, it's that big. I mean, it's, you know, got the 900 fill. It's an awesome animal. I love it. Uh, but, you know, I also, well, you know, I, I kind of like to pick on, like, what the, it's primarily what the weather and how long the hike is going to be is what I will pick. Like, if it's going to be a downpour, uh, I'll bring a bigger tarp that's a little bit more bombproof. Or if it's going to be, you know, beautiful and sunny and maybe a chance of rain i'll bring uh you know a smaller tarp or if i'm going super ultra lightweight i'll bring my cuban fiber tarp yeah now what which which brand of cuban fiber tarp do you have i have hammock gear uh i have i had a i had a hammock gear in 2017 and then uh you know i had the regular the what they call green and uh, I really liked it, but it was uh, it has doors on it. Yep. So, uh, and then one of my friends bought a Cuban fiber from Hammock Gear that was a camouflage, and I wanted that. So basically, uh, I got that, but I got a twelve footer without doors, so I have both of them right now. Gotcha. Yeah, that's the that's the kind of the I've got a couple of pieces of gear that my my real uh focus has kind of shifted over the last year or so since my girlfriend got me a fly fishing rod for my birthday last year in the summer uh my focus in gear acquisition has really shifted from backpacking to fly fishing and then obviously also spending most of our disposable income on our rv bus project um but i you know in in the long term i really wanted like a really nice lightweight hammock because i'm still after all the hammock camping i've done like i'm still rocking an eno double nest um and i've I've got nice quilts but i've not for some stupid reason i haven't just dropped like 80 or 90 bucks on a nice open you know lightweight 11 foot comfortable hammock from someone so let me ask you this question right here uh when you're saying lightweight 
how light are you talking? Like, are you talking ultra lightweight hammock or are you talking just the, the bear? I'd say like, so I like, uh, I've got a couple of different suspension setups, but what I'm talking about a hammock, I would say like a 1.6, um, you know, Robic or a 1.6 Hexon single layer, 11 foot continuous, you know, amp steel continuous loops. Like, you so know, what, uh, so, the aerobic, that's, it's okay. It's an okay feeling fabric. But, uh, you know, what? my good friend John, uh, he the Trailhead's owner, Yeah. Uh, he makes an incredible uh, 1.7 ounce, uh, a 1.7 mountain okay. uh, hammer. And it's bug net. It has a bug net, a zippered bug net on it as well. Okay. And, uh, I mean, they're... They're really comfortable. I don't own one of those, but uh, I have I have been in one, and I know they're very comfortable. And uh, actually, have a a race order on uh, on the book. Have you heard about those? No. Uh, so the race is basically, I, I, I in my opinion, I would call it his flagship hammock because it is a. Uh, I'm, well, he has two models of the race. One of them's like 11.5 ounces with the bug net. Holy cow. And, uh, yeah, and then the other one, his race ultralight, uh, Spagiver Backpacking uh, has one, I believe it's 9.2 ounces. It's like 9.2 or 9.5 ounces, and it's bug net. And uh, they're, they're, pretty, they're pretty cool, man. Uh, let, me, let me see if I can't. Uh, and would you would you trust a one point? So I'm I'm on their website right now. So it's a 1.0 monolite ripstop mesh hammock body. Uh, would you trust that? Because I'm I'm hundred and okay. So fabric rated to 200 pounds. So I'm right at or under 200 pounds. Plus, you know, obviously I've got my dog. So that one may not work with a dog. Your dog in the hammock, but and uh, and that's. In that particular hammock. Yeah, but uh, in some of these others, I mean, they've got, you know, some nice material here, some good-looking stuff. I mean, 100%. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I like a lot of these. The, these. This is right up the alley. Like, I have just not had the stomach to go drop, like, 300 bucks on a chameleon or on, you know, a raven or something like that. Um, but some of these other hammocks, like, you know, 130 to 170 bucks seems very reasonable for, you know, a really nice zip-top hammock. Right, and uh, right now they also have another really lightweight hammock that just came out. Like it hit the market like a month ago. It's called the Banshee. Oh yeah, uh, another ultra lightweight hammock, but it's rated for people that are you know bigger in weight. I think it's rated for like uh, let me see, like three hundred fifty pounds, maybe. Uh, definitely above two. Uh, so I think it's uh, no two seventy five. Yeah, two seventy five. That it might uses be. A really good fit, and this thing's eleven ounces. It's a yeah. hundred and seventy bucks, which is a really good price for this style of hammock, especially with you know a bug net and everything. Because I've got a um, like an original double layer. Uh, I can't remember what the fabric rating was, but I've got one of the original double layer uh, Blackbird X uh, Black. Uh, yeah, yeah, Warbonnet Blackbirds, not the XLC. But just like the original Blackbird. And I had mine made opposite because I'm typically more comfortable with head right 
feet left where a lot of people hang the other way. Um, yeah. And so I had it like custom done and they took really good care of me, but it's just like a big bulky, heavy hammock. And for the most part, I'm like you, I'm way more into cold weather backpacking for the most part during the summer, I shelve my stuff and I start fly fishing. So for me, the bug net isn't as critical because most of the time that I'm backpacking, I'm not even using, you know, I'm not, I'm not even in areas where there are bugs. Um, right. So I might look at, you know, some of these others, like their 1.7 netless or the, you know, 1.6 hyper D netless, like some of those might be a, a really attractive option too. Uh, and then the other right. piece of gear that I haven't really ever, you know, dropped the coin on and, and spent the money and, and is, is a Cuban fiber tarp. So I've got, I mean, don't get me wrong. I really like my tarps. I've got 12 foot, um, war bonnet superflies with doors, and I've got it in the 120 sill poly, and I've got it in the 120, uh, or the 20D, sorry, 20D sill poly and the 20D sill nylon. Uh, Sarah's got one, and I've got the other. Um, and it's right. been a great coverage tarp, but they hold a lot of water. Like, they absorb, and when you're, when you're you know, you can shake them off as much as you want in the morning. Like, if it rained or if it was cold, you're going to be carrying several ounces of water weight on that tarp. And so in the, in the dream, I want a 12 foot, you know, I agree with you. I like the camo. I can't decide whether I want the doors or not. I really do like doors. Um, but you know, having, I mean, I, I would probably cut my weight by a third by going with that tarp and I would probably lose almost a pound, which is like kind of the last precipice of where I can really lose a lot of weight in my setup. Right. Uh, John also really, uh, they make, uh, they make everything over at Trailhead. They make underquilts, top quilts. Uh, I haven't, I haven't seen them yet. I haven't seen their topper. Uh, I haven't seen their topper underquilts. But if it's anything like their hammocks and their tarps, I know it's phenomenal work. Yeah, I mean this uh, this website is nice. I mean, you know, one of the funny things I'm in marketing, so I build. You know, I don't build websites. I'm not a developer. Don't let me put that moniker on myself. But um, you know, I've been in the world of website development and design and graphic design and all those things. And one of the things that I always kind of giggle about with cottage industry folks, they make really good products and they make really bad websites. This is a pretty great website. Um, all things considered. I mean, it's got great photos and really good image quality and everything is really straightforward. It's easy to use. I mean, I'm on a tablet right now and it looks really good. All the options are available and really simple. So kudos to the, to your buddy on uh, building a good website. Now I have another friend. She she also is in the hammock cottage vendors, vendors as well. Uh, she who is she and what's her company? She owns a uh, company called Autumn Ultralight. Okay. Uh, and she also makes hammocks and things like that, which are really cool. Like her juniper hammocks are really nice. Uh, and she can completely go custom with everything you want. She can do anything on the hammock, any color. And uh, I'm getting ready to buy one here soon. I want one just to, you know, say I have one and use it eventually. But uh, the one thing that I love about her work is I call her the queen of suspension. Yeah, no joke. She's got some really cool stuff on this website. Yeah, her her, her hammock suspensions are top-notch. I love her breeze buckles. They're, uh, they're titanium, super lightweight, amazing. She actually, you know, did the CAD design and everything with it. But uh, she also has, like, these incredible Beckett hitches. Uh, her Evo loops are a phenomenal uh, design. Her, you know, she has a con- continuous ridge line. 
uh, and things like that. I, I ordered. She's got an ultralight pole mod kit. She's got all kinds of stuff on here, and a lot of this stuff is really reasonable. Yeah, I mean, uh, she like, like I actually have a complete, you know, uh, line set up from her and everything. Uh, I put I put her complete setup on my hammock and my uh, my Cuban fiber tarp setup. I have yet to weigh it, but I know it's going to be crazy lightweight. Uh, everything I every the the color she'll do complete colors, whatever you want. Uh, yeah, they're amazing. Uh, now, what what backpack do you typically carry, or do you have a collection? Uh, I have three backpacks right now. Uh, I have my Volt seventy five, my tried and trusted. It's you know three or four years old. Uh, you know it's bomb proof. Uh, I actually recently just bought a uh, a light AF Cuban fiber backpack. It's a thirty. Oh, nice. Uh, I bought that from one of my friends. He's a rep for. Uh, light AF, and it was his personal one that he sold me. Oh, cool! And then uh, Steve Kramer from Backpack uh, from the Backpacking Gear and Flea Market. Sure. Uh, I bought a ULA CDT. It's a, it's a tan ULA CDT, and I think that's probably my favorite backpack right now. No joke. Yeah, it's uh, it it fits really well on me. Uh, I can throw everything in it that I want. I mean, uh, it doesn't have a whole lot of stretch to it, but uh, I can get whatever I want in there. I really love the side pockets uh, where I can put my water bottles and things like that. Yeah. Because they're, they're so big that I can put darn near everything in there that I want. For sure, for sure. I mean, I, I really, this is very similar. I mean, this basically looks like kind of a scaled down version with a different um, closure. I've got the ULA Ohm 2.0. And see, that's second out. I really like that one. Yeah, I really liked it. I mean, it's, it's with, with a 60 liter capacity, it gives you a lot of versatility. The one bummer about it, <clears throat> I would, you know, I always suggest to my friends that are going to get into backpacking, I, I used to make like really rigid suggestions and say, like, oh, you should definitely get this and you should definitely get that. And what I realized is, like, you kind of got to let people make their own mistakes, and they're going to ultimately buy the thing that they want to buy, and then they'll figure out down the road, like, oh, this is two pounds heavier than it should be. I'll go buy something else, because that's where I started, right? When I bought my first backpack, it was a $385 Osprey, uh, sorry, not an Osprey, it was a Gregory Baltoro 65, and it. I remember to this day, that backpack weighs like 5.67 pounds. And it's damn near $400 and it carries 60 plus liters and it does, you know, it carries it very comfortably, but you're, you're wearing six pounds before you put anything in your bag. And, um, I got the ULA ohm and, you know, it doesn't have nearly as much padding or as much suspension. It kind of carries things differently. But then as you start to really lighten up your load and you get down into that 20, 25 pound range or even, down below 20, all of a sudden, it starts to really have a lot of advantages. Uh, the one downside and the reason I tell people when they're looking at new backpacks, if they're not like an experienced backpacker, which at which case they don't need my advice anymore, uh, is if you're going to get like one of them, buy the one that's just bigger than the Ohm. I can't remember whether it's the Circuit or the Catalyst, but... I think. The reason I say that is because the one that's just bigger than the Ohm will take a full-size bear canister inside of the bag, and the Ohm won't. And so if you're going to go hiking in Colorado like we did, 
uh, or in parts of California, like we have, you got to have a bear vault and or a, bo- a bear canister of some kind. And when you've got, you know, five days worth of food in a bear vault, it's probably going to be one of the heaviest things in your bag. And if you have to put it on top like you do with the Ohm, it gets pretty top heavy. You get a little kind of, you know, loosey goosey up top. So I always suggest if you're going to buy like your first backpack, the ULA, like you said, I think it's the catalyst is like, I think it's like 240 bucks, which is still cheaper than most Ospreys and most Gregory's, you know, most of the kind of REI brand mainstream backpacks, which are all great bags. Don't get me wrong. Um, like you said, they're bomb proof, right? It says that the catalyst is our biggest pack. Yeah, so so it's the it's the circuit is the one in the middle. Um yeah. is the one I kind of tell people to to go with. Um the one thing that I do wish I want to check out either a light AF pack. I don't think I've I'm down small enough yet where like a forty liter pack would work for me, but um I am really curious about the Z Packs bags and especially the full Cuban fiber roll top one. Just A, the water protection I dig. But B, the, the, um, that structured frame that they have, which removes the bag from the back of your, your back, right, gives you a little bit of a breathing gap between the bag itself and your back. I, you know, I don't know about you. I'm kind of a sweaty dude, and I wish yeah. I wasn't, but I just am. Um, some sort of relief for the back because, man, I'll tell you what, I don't care if it's 30 degrees outside when I've been hiking all day, there's nothing that's going to keep my back from just being basically soaked. Um, (laughs) So I wish I could get a little bit more. Now, if I'm wearing, you know, a a down jacket or a thick fleece, I don't know that there's going to be anything that's going to prevent that regardless of how much air movement there is outside of it. Um, So I don't know whether I'm, I'm, you know, thinking that this is going to solve a problem that's not, but I would be curious to try one of those bags, but I'll tell you what, for $200, uh, the ULA Ohm is quite a lot of bag compared to what you can get from just about anywhere else. Yeah. I mean, uh, I bought the, uh, I bought my backpack, the ULA CDT for 120. Uh, oh, unbelievable deal. Oh yeah. Uh, it was, it was not even used. It was, it was damn near brand new, but the only thing is, is they had it custom made. It was like a, uh, like a custom color or whatever nobody picked up. And then he had it on the backpackers gear flea market. And I snapped on it within like two minutes of it being online. Oh, for sure. Because I, all of my friends, Barry Gabaldi, you know, Chris Durkin, you know, I have a ton of friends that uh, have ULAs and I've always been interested in them. I mean, Suge even has the ULA on. Oh, he's been swearing 2.0. by it for five years. Exactly, and that's why I've always wanted to get one. But I saw the I saw the CDT. I was like, hundred and twenty dollars. I cannot pass that up. Yeah, for so sure. So I snapped, and he shipped it to me. I think I got it in two days, two or three days, something like that. I could not pass it up. It was a hell of a deal, and I love the pack. Oh yeah, there. I mean, and I've been really pleasantly surprised me when I first started building out outdoors podcast I used to have a different website and I was obsessed with this idea like I'm gonna have all my favorite retailers on there and I'm gonna send them all this business and they're gonna love me and I kind of overshot what I thought this thing was gonna do and um and when I reached out to them to just like because I couldn't find a good version of their logo online and I reached out and was just like hey I'm building this website here's what it is I don't make any money it's just a fun thing I'd like to, you know, point people in your direction because I really like your backpacks. 
Um, you know, do you have a good quality version of your logo? And do you mind if I put it on my website? And they got back to me like, I don't know, a couple days later and we're super nice about it. Oh yeah, absolutely. They sent me like four or five version of the, of their logo. And then they said, by the way, we have an affiliate program. So if you ever want to sign up for that, you know, if you send us people that buy backpacks, like we'll pay you commission. And I thought that was like a really cool thing for them to just, you know, like I wasn't, you know, I don't have a ton of followers. I don't have thousands or tens of thousands of followers. I'm not some big deal. And they were just like, Hey, you know, if we can help you out and you can help us, let's, let's get together. Um, so I wanted to chat just a little bit about that because I know in planning trips in the past, you've put together some pretty big group hangs, uh, 30, 40 people, and you typically have some, you know, cool grab bag type, you know, attendance prizes and drawings and raffles and stuff for gear. How do you approach brands? What's kind of your, you know, your, what's been your approach to say like, hey, we're putting together this group hang. Do you want to donate something? How does that stuff come together? So uh, as far as that goes, I am, uh, I am no longer a part of doing that anymore. Uh, I, I no longer do the, 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 the raffles or I'm not part of the, uh, I'm not part of the hammock. I'm not part of the, uh, Hampton's point hang anymore. Sure. Uh, but I will tell you, I will tell you how I, uh, how I went about it and things like that. Uh, it was really for, uh, for raffling and things like that. One, it was to get the businesses names out there. Yeah. A lot of it was uh, cottage vendors and a lot of it was major brands, you know, things like that. Uh, but basically all of the, uh, all of the raffles, uh, we raffled everything off, but uh, all the monetary donations went to the Wolf County Search and Rescue Team. Uh, the Wolf County Search and Rescue Team is the rescue team that is a part of the Red River Gorge. So if somebody got hurt or actually uh, one of the very uh, popular people on Hammock Forms, is, he goes by Cutlass Car. Sure. Uh, he actually had a heart attack there. And uh, the Wolf County Search and Rescue Team went out and saved his life. Cool. And that's why we... That's why we got the uh, raffle program started was to help them because it is all volunteer basis. Uh, cool. All the volunteers have to use their own money and time to get the gear to help people. So we actually raised money for them. But uh, what I did was, I, you know, I just, I talked to another person uh, in the Tar Heel State Hangers. And uh, I asked him for help because I had no idea how to set it up, how to do it. And he just said, you know, just tell them what it's about and uh, you'll put their name on Facebook and things like that. So what I did was uh, I, uh, I, I used some of his stuff. Like uh, I started off by using uh, I started off by using other like I saw his brands that he had on his group hang and I. I emailed some of them Sure. and uh, they said, yeah, sure, sure. We'll do this. And I said, I'll put your branding on Facebook and I'll tell people where to go and uh, sent me stuff and swag for all the, all the hammock hangers and things like that. And then I branched out. I started looking at other companies, small vendors here and there. And uh, I got some really cool brands out. Like I got Camoff, which is a, you know, a big box bag store. Yeah. Uh, I got a Dutch wear. I actually got trailheads out there. That's actually how I met John and Karen. That's cool. Uh, yeah, for the first time. And then uh, I had other hammock vendors. I had, uh, you know, a knife company. I had uh, AMOP. 
I had, you know, other stuff out there for the very first thing. And it was really nice. Yeah, that's really cool. The, the idea of tying it to a good cause that is connected to the mission of a lot of these companies, right? Hey, there's this group of people that are out there performing search and rescue type operations and, and assistance operations for people that get hurt in the activity that you guys all support and sell to. Uh, we can help raise money from this really great cause by drawing attention to your brand by giving away some of your products. That's a really good approach. Versus just saying like, hey, we're going to give away some stuff. Do you guys want to be included in that so that you, you know, you get seen more? Uh, doing it all to support a really good cause is a great idea. Right. And, you know, uh, it, it was really fun and everything like that. And sadly, I'm not a part of it anymore. But uh, it's just that's how the cookie crumbles. Sure. Uh, and I, I really enjoyed it. Uh, I love doing the cause. and. Uh, you know, I do believe that giving back to the community is a whole lot, you know, is a lot of it. You know, I'm, I was really happy to be able to hand over $1,555 to, you know, a nonprofit. And that was, you know, that was really worthwhile. And I thoroughly enjoyed doing that. As someone that works for a nonprofit, Casey, I can tell you, I mean, we, we have a budget that's in the hundreds of thousands of dollars a year, but uh, any kind of contribution, even in the, you know, I mean, $1,500 is a lot of money. A lot of people don't realize how much that means to a nonprofit and to a, you know, largely, I would imagine, volunteer organization. Um, so that is really cool that you guys were able to not only do something that you all enjoy, but then come together and support a really good cause. And that $1,500 plus is going to make a big impact on that organization and, and lets them know, hey, there's another group of people out there that supports the cause and, and cares about what they do. That's really awesome of you. Yeah. Uh, and the really cool thing is, uh, I mean, it wasn't, you know, two, three, 400 people that raised that money. It was 40. Yeah. You know, 40 people at the campsite. Like people bought that money with them. They hiked in you know, 40 pounds for five miles, you know, I mean, I'm just giving a rough estimate. I don't really know how, I mean, hell, there was, uh, there was one person who hiked in 105 pounds. Oh my God. Yeah. He won the heaviest pack contest. <laughs> there was a, there was a great group hang here in Missouri when I first got into hammock backpacking. And, um, it's actually my first episode is a guy named Derek Kaufman. He's a good buddy of mine. Um, that's where he and I met was on this group hang and in the, the forum leading up to the hang, there was a, an older guy that was basically saying, hey, you know, I've done a lot of camping, but I've never gone backpacking before. How is this trail? You know, I'm not not too sure that I'm going to be able to carry all my stuff. And we all assured him, like, hey, it's a really easy mile and a half trail. There's not a lot of rough terrain. It's not a lot of elevation. I think you'll be fine. He shows up. He was really nice. He had a great time. And about, you know, two hours into the trip, he pulls like a full 64-ounce growler of beer out of his bag. Yeah, I've and, done that you know, before. That thing weighs, you know, 10 plus pounds or something. And we were like, Charlie, that's why you were concerned, man. You got to leave the beer. Like, kudos to you for carrying it. But if you're if you're concerned, like, maybe that's one of the things that you can leave out of your bag. You might lighten your load a little bit. Um, right. Well, you're, you're going to get a kick out of this then. Uh, one of my friends, Matthew Stewart, he, uh, he brought a 20-pound pig into spit roast. No. Yeah. Swear to God, I have pictures to prove it. That's awesome. impressive. I mean, yeah. one of the things that I probably wish I did a little bit more is I do get so gram and ounce conscience 
or conscious that, you know, every now and then I'll see a, a video on YouTube or something of like the Shill Brothers or some guys in, in Ohio and they're carrying, you know, 16, 18, 20 ounce porterhouses in and doing steaks over the fire. And I'm sitting there going, oh, all that weight. And then I sit there and watch them eat. And I'm like, man, why don't I do something like that more often? Um, you know, or I'll, I'll watch like a, uh, a catch cook, uh, catch kill and cook video of, you know, some guy walking into a mountain stream or a mountain lake in Colorado and he catches a trout. And then all of a sudden he produces like a, you know, a fire stove and a, a giant skill of uh, cast iron, um, you know, skillet. And I'm like, good Lord, how much did that weigh? And I was like, but maybe he's only a couple miles away from his car. Uh, I need to explore right. those ideas more often of like, hey, if it's only going to be a couple miles, let's let's load up the pack and see how cool we can make the trip. Right. Well, one of my like one of my go to uh, things, uh, Dustin Thompson, he made a he kind of made his own little hashtag. It's called it's you know how you have the hashtag ultra light. Oh, yeah. Instead of ultra light, it's ultra right. Oh, yes. So uh, basically you bring in whatever you want. Yeah. No, we've, we've got a, I got a buddy here in St. Louis named Ed, uh, that is, is a big DIY guy. He makes a lot of his own stuff, but he's also kind of into the ultralight thing. Like a lot of his stuff is light, but then every now and then he'll have something that's like super luxurious and you're just like, ah, there you go, bud. <laughs> but, uh, what I always tell people, uh, you know, it's cool to hike into trails and do your own thing, but I really suggest people go to one of the hammock hanging events. Yeah. Uh, because, I mean, yeah, you might have one or two camping trips that are hiking hammock hanging trips like the Red River Gorge trip, but most of them are car camping trips. Yeah. And those are the ones to go to because everybody always has extra gear. So you can always check out somebody, you know, if, if you're an inexperienced camper and you want to learn hammock camping, that is the thing to do because everybody will always have gear. I know Barry Gabaldi has like a thousand different setups. And uh, so people there always bring more gear than they need. We did a group uh, like a frozen butt type hang, uh, God, 2016, 2017, something like that. In the, I mean, like right into the first part of the year, maybe first week or second week of January. Uh, it was negative four degrees outside for the low. And, you know, I did that same trip with my 20 degree quilts and suffered pretty miserably throughout the night. Um, we went to sleep at, I don't know, seven o'clock at night because we were also cold. And I got into my hammock and I fell asleep and I woke up one time to pee and then I woke up and I felt fully rested and I was like, oh my God, I made it through the night. I can't believe it. My clothes and my quilts really took care of me. And I pulled my phone out of my pocket to see what time it was and it said 1145 at night. <laughs> and I was like, oh no. And I just sat there for the next seven hours. Now I wasn't freezing cold, but I was just chilly enough where I couldn't get to sleep. So I basically just sat there for seven hours and stared at the front of my tent or the front of my, my tarp because I couldn't move around much because I'd wake people up around me. But what I should have done, unfortunately, like you just said, so many of the guys that went on that trip, and I think there was like six or seven of us, were volunteering like, hey, I've got two sets of quilts. I have an extra set of zeros. If anybody needs something, let me know. Because had I just gotten one extra, I mean, even a 40-degree underquilt, to just layer underneath me 
it probably would have made the difference. And now, I mean, my girlfriend has a set of quilts now, so if it's going to be below 20, I just bring both sets and just double up on 20s, and then I can drop down well under zero, and it's fine. But like you said, I mean, there were guys volunteering backpacks and quilts and base layers and any kind of gear that would encourage more people to come out if they didn't have what they felt like they needed. Uh, So, you know, I I always tell people, if you're going to get into fly fishing, go to a fly fishing store because you'll be amazed at how excited the people that work at the fly fishing store are to help you start going down the path. Uh, It's not an intimidating place. It seems like it will be, but same thing with hammock, you know, hammock groups and, and group hangs. Uh, it, it feels when you're first getting into it, it feels super scary. And when you show up to one of those things for the very first time, you feel like you're going to seem like a novice or like you don't know what you're doing. It is the exact opposite case. You may feel like that when you pull up and I promise you within about five minutes, you're going to feel so much better because everybody's going to take you under their wing. They're going to show you what they're doing. They're going to give you advice. They're going to welcome you with open arms. Uh, it is one of the things that I've, I've loved most about digging back into the outdoors uh, post-college and kind of, you know, growing up and being an adult-ish um, is just the helpfulness of the people that are into it and the, the open-armedness of people wanting to get others into the same hobby. I mean, would you say that that's the case? Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, if new people do show up and hang stuff like that everybody's like oh awesome welcome to the group here's a beer yeah you know and then and then it's you know into the rabbit hole from there yeah and and i would say for those that are just getting involved like for the first time keep it simple um you know i've 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 given this advice on the podcast before but it really made like a fundamental change in the way that i think about gear and backpacking and really just stuff acquisition in general. Uh, I went backpacking with a buddy of mine several years ago. We ran into, I call them the three wise men because it was these three old guys that uh, go on a backpacking trip to the Appalachian Trail every year and kind of section hike it further along. And I asked them, you know, they'd done a lot more backpacking than me. You know, how do you, what do you bring? What do you not bring? And they said, look, don't overcomplicate it. You need a a, a way to clean your and, and prepare your water you need a way to prepare food, and you need a shelter. Everything else is frivolous. Like, literally everything else is frivolous. And I was like, yeah, yeah, of course. And he goes like, no, 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 like, let me give you an example. And he had a single little bitty bulb LED light that runs on, like, a flat battery hanging around a piece of, you know, zingit on his neck. And, you know, it had a literally tiny little LED bulb that you kind of pinch, you know, like you put on your keychain. And he goes, that's my flashlight. And I was like, oh, shit. what? And he was like, I don't night hike. I don't prepare food at night. Like, we stop when it's light out. What do I need? Like, I got to get up in the night and pee. What else do I need? And I kind of went, oh, yeah, you're right. Like, he, he was like, most people pack with this idea in mind of, well, what if, like, you know, this would make me more comfortable versus I'm going to be out there for a night or two. Do I do, like, really, do I need this to be comfortable? And I think what I have found is that when I bring less and I simplify it, it lets me focus more of my time on hanging out and on being out there and less time unpacking, organizing, fiddling with gear, packing it all up, dealing with it, keeping things clean. I'm just more of like, hey, bring the very bare essentials 
if you don't have something you need, somebody else on the trip will. You know, I mean, don't be the asshole that, like, doesn't show up with batteries in your flashlight. But, yeah. you know, that kind of stuff. Uh, For batteries. Yeah, you know what I mean? Like, d- d- bring the essentials, but don't think, like, hey, if you're going backpacking for a night, you probably don't need a first aid kit that would manage, you know, a football team. So, yeah. you know, stuff like that. And it's be- it's been really helpful for me to not overcomplicate it, like, you need somewhere to sleep. You need something to eat out of. You need some way to keep your water clean. After that, like, uh, yeah, you got to stay warm or cool. But, like, you don't need 27 sets of gloves. You know, you don't need two knives for most part. You know, some people are really into knives. That's cool. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's and, and I mean, like, you know, it a lot of it also depends on what style of backpacking you're going to do. If you're really into fire preparation and you're going to, you know, do a lot with kind of the bushcrafting style of things, you may need a different setup of gear than I'm going to take. Um, right. You know, but just keep it simple early is always my advice because, I you know, I bought so much crap that I did not need to take. Yeah. I mean, uh, so I know you earlier today, I know you mentioned the, the frozen butt hang. Have you actually been to one? So I haven't been to the one like the legit one in, you know, Ely, Minnesota or wherever to Finley, Minnesota that, that should goes on. I haven't been to that one where it drops down to like negative 30. That's always been my goal. Um, there's a, a few pieces of gear that I feel like to do that right, you need to have um, either like one of the wool Boreal shirts, which are, I don't know, 400 bucks. Um, I think they're worth it. I'd love to have one. I just haven't found the justification for it yet. Um, and then I think, you know, I think you need one of those Polk things, quite frankly, because you're going to be bringing in quite a bit of extra stuff. And then I think you need a, a legit set of like zero degree quilts, which I don't have. Um, I yeah. think you're also probably better off if you've got a pair of muckluck boots or some sort of very winter designated serious boots because you're just all day, all night on the snow. And I don't have anything that's super snow rated because um, my feet just get cold relatively easy. Um, right. But, you know, I've do- I did that that one night, you know, out there in negative five. That's the, the lowest I've been down to in a hammock, and I didn't die, um, you know, which was kind of my – I mean, I woke up the next day and, like, realized, oh, yeah, I didn't sleep with any water in my hammock, so everything is frozen solid. Great. Right. Uh, you know, so if you want to have a hot cup of coffee in the morning when it's negative two out, it's kind of tough to do that. Um. But yeah, I want to do I want to do some more of that stuff. Uh, I just you know I've been distracted over the last couple of winters with RV stuff and and other things that I quite frankly just haven't done enough backpacking. Well, well, I tell you what, uh, like I go to the Minnesota frozen butt hang. I've been to do you two really? of them in the past. Yeah, uh, oh yeah, every year I've been to two of them in the past three years. Uh, this last year I had to skip it because of work. But uh, me and two of my other friends always go down there. Uh, Back in 2000, 2018 is when I went uh, the last time because uh, I went in 17, 18, skipped night or no, 19 is when I went because I skipped this year. Gotcha. This is uh, so in 2019 it got down to negative 37. That's oh the God. coldest I've ever been, and uh, I had two zero degree underquilts. Yeah, I had a zero uh, stacked my underquilts. I was 
warmer than a bug in a rug, man. It was, oh, I slept so well. Yeah, I would want, I would want to stack a zero degree and then one of my 20 degrees. My girlfriend has a, a full length incubator. We both have incubators and burrows, um, for, from hammock gear for our quilts and hers has got an extra ounce of overstuff, which man, does that make a big difference? Um, yeah. and I would take that and layer it under like a, uh, an under quilt protector along with a zero degree. And I feel like I could probably manage from there. Um, you know, it's just like my only down jacket is a, is a pretty lightweight one and it's real short. So like, as far as the Boreal shirt, I would either want to get like a much more serious down jacket or one of the Boreal shirts to layer on top of some of the other stuff that I've gotten down, you know, pretty low in. But um, when you're sleeping at night, you really, I mean, if you have that top quilt and everything and you're warm, you're, you're covered. And that's the only time it got down that low. During the daytime, it was probably around negative 10 degrees. And if you're moving, you're warm. Point, and we also. Point. Had an eight foot fire ring going, so we now, were do they warm still, at all. Do they still do the parachute kind of over the fire type that's, thing? That's in Wisconsin. That uh, one that you're talking. Yeah, I have not been to that. I want to, but I have not been to it. Gotcha. But yeah, gotcha. Well, I'll tell you I'll what, tell you man. What, we're going again this year. If you want to go with us, Dude, you know yeah. you can tag along. Let's let's communicate on that because if I'm still around St. Louis, I will definitely tag along with you guys. I'll be in a position to uh, to gear up a little bit by then, so we can we can totally talk about that. But I want to let you get back to your day. I've got some stuff going on as well. This was super fun. I feel like I actually got to know you a lot better, and I know a lot more about your camping background and what you're into. So this was a really cool conversation. Let's do another one sometime in the future if you're down. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I'd be happy to do another one. Cool, man. And as the weather drops a little bit, I normally don't do a ton of backpacking during the summer just because I hate getting super sweaty when I backpack. But um, as the weather breaks, let's plan a trip uh, somewhere near the gorge and, and get together sometime. Absolutely. I'll be down for it anytime you want to. Cool, man. This was a lot of fun. I appreciate it. Uh, shout out the two brands. It was Trailheads Hammocks, correct? Trailheads, hammocks, and accessories. Uh, that's John and Karen Rammel. Awesome. They're really good people. And then autolight.com. Uh, her name is Anne-Marie Aker. Uh, you can reach Facebook or go on to their, uh, or go on to their website. Uh, they're a really good company, and I highly recommend both of them. Yeah, Trailheads Hammocks with a Z dot com and then AutumnUltralight.com. I'm on both their websites, uh, both really good sites with some really good gear. So if you are in the market or at least just curious about some stuff, uh, definitely go check them out. The hammock cottage industry manufacturers are really a big part of what makes our industry and this whole hobby uh, a lot of fun because it allows for just really an infinite amount of customization and different types of setups. So uh, no matter what you're into, colors, patterns, different styles, there's all kinds of stuff out there for you. So Casey, I appreciate it, man. This was a ton of fun. It was really great getting to know you. We will catch you on the next one. Absolutely, man. Thanks, buddy.